Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of the Tisket Podcast. Wait, ladies listen to this thing? I assume they do. Ladies. Alright, yeah. that was bad. Anyways, <laughs> uh, here we are again. Um, We're off to a great start. Off to already. a fantastic start. <laughs> Uh, we've got a bunch to talk about today. Um, yes, we got do. some announcements. We have a like sort of a verbal battle report or observations, and then um, some sweeping changes to the game. It's very exciting yeah. stuff. Yeah, very much so. So why don't we jump into some of the news? Um, so first of all, uh, I've got a two-part special coming up. Uh, I don't know when it's going to be launched yet, but I just want to let you guys know that the um, Iron are in the coals on this uh basically i'm going to be doing a two-part ground up how to get into competitive play um so if you've listened to this and you've heard us talk about itc and itc missions etc competitives you know nonsense i can at least give you a primer that you can listen to that will take you through and explain it all to you um from knowing nothing about it to if you wanted to go play tomorrow in a tournament you could go do it yeah, not from a standpoint like you must learn to play the game. I, I assume we're assuming y'all know how to do that if you're list, trying to go yeah. competitive. But like the things you need to go know that's different going from a sort of a more casual play style to competitive like bespoke missions. Exactly. There's a lot of stuff. There's a lot of FAQ type questions that are out there that I can try to address and try and just kind of step through and build up kind of like a fundamental understanding of you know, where competitive play is right now, um, you know, how you do it, like what, you know, all the, all the different questions that come up from that standpoint. So hope you guys keep a lookout for that. That'll be released right here on the podcast. Um, it'll just be a special, um, that's, that's put out and, you know, however long I do it is how long it ends up running for. So <clears throat> just yep. give a look out for that. Um, look forward to that. next up, uh, I also, this past weekend, I've been busy. Uh, this past weekend, uh, I put up a uh, unit guide, basically, or a new version of the unit guides. Now, if you're familiar with our community or you only listen to the podcast or you're only on our Discord server somehow, um, we have a Reddit community, which is how this whole thing started, uh, which is basically just Reddit slash r thousand sons. Uh, on there, uh, one of our uh, co-moderators on there that helped us get the thing up and running uh, Alizarium. Uh, we've mentioned him a few times on here. He's done a lot to com- contribute. He created uh, two iterations of these unit guides that have been up there for a while. They've been very helpful for the folks who are just picking up the army. They just want to know, you know, what do I use? How do I use it? Just explain the codex a little bit from a, okay, here's how I interpret it, or here's, here's how you should think about things a little bit, um, rather than just kind of like the codex where it's just kind of like a um, fire hose that's just like blah here's all your data and do with it what you wish um so first of all i've expanded a little bit on what his ratings were um so or his guides um, i've actually added ratings in there to be able to indicate whether a unit is basically something you can play competitively you could put it on the table or it's just bad and while you could put it on the table yeah, you might want to steer clear of those if you're trying to build a list that can, you know, go to toe to toe with your friends who have been playing for years and you're struggling with them or whatever. Um, so keep in mind, 
it's still subjective. Those ratings ultimately come down to just your interpretation of how good a unit is or not. And I get that you, Mike, you might think that um, defilers are the greatest thing since sliced bread. And my I mean, interpretation of <laughs> my interpretation of them being completely garbage is probably fighting words. So um, keep in <laughs> mind that this giving them ratings is all a subjective thing. And I get, you know, you might be sitting there reading it and you're like, David, this is horseshit. These ratings suck. You don't know what you're talking about. I get it. That's fair. Um, but I'm just trying to do my best to give some people an idea of here's a rough idea of what would be good and what isn't good if they're just picking the army up. And, you know, if they if they play it and they find out, you know what, I think Land Raiders are amazing and I'm taking three of them, great. Good for you. Um, whatever floats your boat. So... I'm eventually going to get Zinch Demons in there. Right now, I have just put the units up there with their ratings, and a good chunk of them actually have some like meta notes and things like that. So trying to give you a little bit more content on each of the units, like how to use them in the meta right now, um, you know, kind of why they're good in certain areas, why they're rated bad in other areas. Um, and as the as things go forward, I want to make it so that these are things that can update as new releases come out. So for example, Ritual of the Dam that just came out, my vision would be if we get another supplement like this in the future, what I, what I can do is keep like a running log of changes and how units progress and, you know, digress, I guess, uh, over time. And um, yeah, and hopefully that, that kind of helps folks uh, and they can kind of see, okay, this was good, but it's not good anymore. So keep in mind that, you know, Maybe I don't take that unit. Um, yeah. So I do have Zinch Demons coming. I do have Forge World stuff coming. Um, just for timing here purposes, uh, some of the stuff that's up there is still work in progress. But if you're wondering where they are, uh, you can go to tiskinlibrary.com. So Tiskin, just a Tiskin podcast, but it's tiskinlibrary.com. Uh, that is my blog site, but I also have a few pages are up there. When you go there, there is a nice blue link in the top left say unit guides and you can click on there and away you go. Yep. Okay. Yep. Riveting. Uh, I know. Right? So <laughs> last thing, uh, I think we're going to have another giveaway coming up here soon. So you guys are going to probably want to stay tuned, keep an eye, you know, an eye out for when we announce that, uh, we or just at least did an ear or it needs an ear. Yeah, that's probably fair. Um, cause again, we're not video casting yet, right? No, I'm, I'm afraid not. I'd have to, you know, actually like spruce myself up where we were to do so. <laughs> hey, that time is coming. Mm -hmm. Maybe. Anyways. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah, we're thinking about doing another giveaway. We had a really good one this past uh, holiday season, if you missed it. Um, so hopefully we'll do, be able to do something similar, maybe a painting competition, maybe not a painting competition, but now is kind of an idea of when we're starting to think about doing another one. So. Yeah. All right. So All right. Mike, we got a few topics tonight, getting to the good stuff here. Mm -hmm. So we're going to be talking about the FAQ that came out for ritual of the dam. There's a little bit of content there. It came out a little while ago since we're recording here tonight, but worth mentioning and worth talking about a little bit. Yes. Uh, we, you and I also, like you said, we played a game a couple weeks ago now and, uh, time, time for us to kind of talk about it. You know, I used the new thousand sons rules in that match against you. Um, 
so we can talk about that and how it did against your clown car army. Yes. Um, and uh, finally, the just this past weekend, uh, we got the new ITC missions to drop. So this is going to get a chance for us to run through a whole bunch of stuff that's happened over the last couple of weeks and um, kind of then jump into the latest and greatest with the new missions and kind of get, get some thoughts out there on that. So, mm-hmm. um, Mike, why don't you take us through some of the FAQ changes? Okay, well, let's, we're going that way. So FAQ um, came out for Ritual of the Damned. Uh, so generally speaking, it's a fairly short FAQ, pretty much like a page and a paragraph. Um, but there are some very important changes for Thousand Suns in particular. Um, so the big thing is the um, they, they obviously that they clarified that the way that Brotherhood of Sorcerers works in regard to uh, affecting ranges on powers. So like for instance, um, the new uh, cult of mutation power, whenever you shake up a piece of terrain, uh, the brother of the sorcerers just extends the range on the initial power, not the three inch burst on it. Um, however, the things that people are going to be, uh, I'm sure we're aware of um, and are the most important here are the first is if you have a cult warlord and you use a magister stratagem to give another character a cult warlord trait, you can, even if they're part of a different cult, you can give them a warlord trait. I assume that's the way everyone thought it was, but they did clarify it. And so that's good. However, this um, sort of works very strangely with their second ruling um, regarding the Sorceress Arcana for the given cults. So I checked the rule books as well, other codexes, and I think I figured out what they're doing here. But effectively, the long and short of it is your Warlord cult determines which cult Sorceress Arcana you can take, regardless of whether you use the um, Thousand Sun Stratagem Relics for the Thousand Suns to get extra relics. Um, effectively, this means that if you take a cult of magic warlord, the only extra, like non generic Thousand Suns cult, uh, relic you can take is the cult of magic relic. Um, I know that there is um, a lot of pushback on this. The, uh, the for instance, uh, means that for the most part, a lot of people who play competitively are saying, well, I'm only ever going to take the cult of magic relic then because all the other ones just aren't as good. And the cult of magic warlord trade is so powerful in cult of magic. Um, but looking at the codex actually makes you sort of happy that we waited the extra week uh, to let sort of let me at least digest what this meant is, Effectively, what the cults have done is they've cut the Thousand Suns army into nine different little sub-armies, which seems a little weird on the surface. However, is consistent with how the other armies do their relics. Um, this, is, this is sort of strange. And, and so if I'm, if I'm reading it right, Mike, I, my interpretation of this was that basically my rule of thumb is I can never take more than one cult relic or one cult warlord trait. No. So you can take two different cult warlord traits. Um, 
but you can only ever take one cult relic. Huh. Okay. Because I seem to remember, I, for whatever reason, I seem to, when I read through this, it's the, if I have the cult warlord and I use the Magister Stratagem to give a Thousand Suns character from different cult a warlord trait, can I use their relevant cult warlord trait? And it says, yes, you can. Okay. So I got that mixed up with the second one that you're explaining where it basically says, if I have a, a cult warlord and I try to use the relic one, no, I can only take the one that my warlord is from. Correct. Because in order to get the cult sorceress arcana, you have to be, your warlord has to be a part of that cult. Okay. So sorry for the roundabout confusion there, but that makes sense. So the, the rule of thumb is basically you can take two warlord traits, but you can only take one relic from a cult. And yes. basically just that costs you two CP total pregame because it's one for the warlord one and one for the regular. Yeah. Relic. And they have to be two different cult warlord traits because you can't take du- duplicate cults. Well, yeah, obviously. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I've really, it's sort of, I understand why they're doing, they're cool like this. It is like the way they wrote it that is consistent with it. And it matches, for instance, uh, the Adeptus Sororitas, the way that they word their relics. Um, and I, was, I think I checked Orcs as well. It's consistent with that. It's just no other army is has a secondary army keyword inside their own army quite like this. It's kind of weird. Yeah. And at least it doesn't rule out doing things like taking the redeployment one. Uh, I think it's duplicity. Uh, duplicity's warlord trait that lets you redeploy your units um and that one can be very useful but it might only be in certain situations so yeah and of course you still have access to the generic thousand suns relics um it's just you your extra special stuff is sort of locked away but other than that not many changes right yeah the only other thing is they clarified um no point changes the uh but they clarified that the guided whispers warlord trait um it's the one that lets you um fall back after fire and overwatch works even if you don't actually have a ranged weapon to fire overwatch right like a demon prince yeah like a demon prince um which i think it's the way i would have ruled it and it's fair um and so i don't think anyone's going to be particularly upset about that and it was very obvious. I think a lot of people saw it coming, um, but it's worth mentioning just to be, I guess, pedantic about it. Uh, the Psychic Brazier, I think most people were looking at that. The, the wording on it was, you know, friendly units within six could get the reroll bonus that that relic gave. I, I mean, if you read any anything out there, everybody was saying, yeah, this was very obviously a misprint because nothing else in the game gets that kind of thing. So, and they did indeed word reword that in there. Yeah, the the rewording on it actually ma- it makes it read much better than the previous writing. And actually, I, I missed that because it's in a different section. Um, but yeah, the cult of prophecy relic um, was clarified to only apply to cult of prophecy units. Yeah. Now, I think the thing never to forget here, uh, just kind of bottling up this stuff, is you get the psychic power on all your dudes in that detachment for your cult. So I still think there's a lot of value in maximizing how many cults you can bring just for the sanity of you get access to these extra spells that are in there that otherwise you just be would be ignoring. So um, that's kind of where I'm at right now messing with my list, just kind of thinking how can I maximize the number of cults that I get into it. Yeah, and 
um, oh, the other thing to keep in mind is that this is literally free things that Games Workshop has given to Thousand Sons. Um, so it's not even if some of it is necessarily super good, it's all better than Thousand Sons Nothing. before. Yeah, exactly. All right. Well, that probably gives us a good chance to now talk about the fact that we took these new rules and we played them. Yes. In a game against each other. So we saw everything up and running. Um, yes. The uh, great battle of the library card. So what I can probably do, Mike, is um, I will, um, I can probably talk a little bit about how the match went and let you kind of chime in and what you saw because you're on, it's a little different when you're on the receiving end to kind of see like what, what you're facing versus being on the driving end. So we drew, uh, and correct me when I'm wrong here, but we drew hammer and anvil, if I remember right. That is correct. And there was a decent amount of terrain on the board. Not a lot, but enough to hide when you needed to hide. Um, yeah. And your army, being Harlequins, uh, a.k.a. Clown Cars, uh, was a whole bunch of transports, and you had a whole bunch of Harlequins in those transports. Uh-huh. You had a few jet bikes in there, or jet bike squads with uh, haywire. So my Hellbrute and my Contemptor were kind of under pressure early. And that Scorpius. Don't and that Scorpius. Scorpius. That's correct. So uh, basically you had a lot of speed, a lot of maneuverability. I mean, that screams Harlequins. Mm-hmm. And you went first. And yes. I think I made you go first, if I recall correctly. I believe that is the case. So you came screaming across the table, turn one. And I, I, let's just back up here for a second so I'm forgetting myself. Uh our lists. So I kind of explained Mike without getting into the details of every little loadout that you had. How many, how many of each of the, like the bikes and the transports did you have? So my list runs four transports, uh, three units of two bikes with haywire, and then uh, a squad of clowns in each transport, two void weavers, and then support characters. Gotcha. And of those support characters, you had um, some nasty guys like the Death Jester. Yeah, I've got had three three Troop Masters, three Death Jesters, three Shadow Seers, and a Solitaire. Not it's ten characters total. And if you've yeah, and so if you've ever played against the Solitaire, you know that that thing is just an absolute animal on the table. I mean, it just wrecks whatever it touches. Mm-hmm. So obviously, I knew that thing was coming at me turn one. And I deployed, I had Magnus, two demon princes without wings. I then had Aramon, the Terminator Sorcerer. They were in the magic detachment. So the Terminator Sorcerer had the Warlord trait, the Relic. So he had the plus, he had the Mortal Wound Nova and everything. Uh, We'll get to him. And then a bunch of Rubric Marines were in there. And then I think I had three cultist squads in the second detach or the second battalion. Correct. With uh, the demon princes. And that was Cult of Duplicity. And in there was also uh, packed a uh, Scorpius, Hellbrute, uh, a Melee Contemptor uh, Dreadnought uh, with Chain Fists, and then a Helldrake as well. So I deployed to protect Magnus. Uh, so I basically had layers and layers of screens. So I put pretty much interwoven cultists up front. Uh, I deployed pretty much as far back as I could because I knew Mike was coming to me. And basically, I think you... I layered the cultists out there. They, I knew they were going to be gone, and you pretty much went through them turn one. 
And then I had a layer of Rubric Marines behind that. And then two Demon Princes behind that. And then Magnus behind the two Demon Princes. So you basically had to go increasingly through the different things. So I'm, I'm going based on things that I'm willing to have die. The, the lesser of them up front and then just progressively getting to the stronger stuff. Yeah. And so I, actually we also need to go over secondaries here. Yeah. Cause that's very important to how the game went. I think I agree. So if I remember right, I took headhunter obviously. Yes. Uh, I think I took pick your poison because that fit mm-hmm. your army perfectly. Uh, and then I want to say my third one was engineers engineers. There we go. Yes. Whereas I took my usual um, loadout of recon behind enemy lines and headhunter. Yep. Um, and that works really good in your list because of how mm-hmm. fast it is. I mean, yeah. you pretty much get behind enemy lines and recon right away. And so I did a little bit of deploying early just to try and counter that a little bit, not make it like a gimme for Mike, but you know, it, it pretty much was what it was at that point. Um, yeah. But so you went first, you came across the table, you wiped out my screens and then you went for your charge. Uh, and I, and I think what you did was you declared my rubric Marines and what else was there? That so I declare, I, I didn't wipe your screens until I had charged. So I declared all three cultist squads and your rubric Marines with the solitaire because effectively the way you'd place them, I could tag um, two of the cultist squads with him from out of line of sight. And then the plan was to fight twice into the rubric Marines to kill them as well. Um, and then the uh, clown squad behind them also charged in. Uh, and then on the other side, I had a squad of clowns jump over your cultist line and charge into your rubric Marine engineers using their effectively their um warp time power that's the shadow series can quickest cast. yeah no it's not quicken it's like shadowed shadowy oh. paths or something that's different okay fair enough. because you know it, it has to be different it has to be um <laughs> uh and then my just shooting off of my transports shredded the uh, third cultist squad as i recall yeah. So I had the Hellbrute back trying to guard the Scorpius and the Contemptor was off by himself, um, more or less to just kind of stay out of the way where if you, if you dedicated a whole bunch of stuff over in the corner, yeah, you know, that kind of put that stuff over there for at least a turn where you're dealing with him. And yeah. And you also blocked off my ability to uh, effectively teleport a character into your back line yeah. uh, to, in order to get behind me lines turn one, which was a, a good choice. Um, ultimately, because that's what death gestures yeah. are for, suicidally getting behind enemy lines. So if you looked at, if you were looking at it from Mike's perspective and you're coming towards the Thousand Suns, you're looking at kind of like a mini castle in the middle with the Demon Princes and, and Magnus with some Rubric Marines and then the rest of the cultists in the way. Off to the right would be the Scorpius, the Hellbrute, another squad of uh, uh, Rubric Marines just trying their best to screen out there. Those were engineers. And then off to the left is the um, the Contemptor Dreadnought just kind of hanging out. In reserve were the another squad of Rubric Marines, which is what I typically do if I take engineers. I'll deep strike one of them because like Mike did, if he goes after one squad, I have another one in safety where I haven't he hasn't eliminated my ability to score max engineer points. Um, so I, I can then place the other ones in a safe location where they can continue to score or I can clear and secure the area to do the same thing. Yeah. Um, so that 
tends to be kind of a safe play if you're doing engineers or like a um, like a handicap. I think that changes a little bit with the the way engineers are worded now in the new edition or the new it rules. Is. But we'll get to that. Yeah. So effectively, at the end of my first turn, I cleared I'd cleared off all of the the uh, cultists with a, one uh, Harlequin squad and killed his engineers and effectively neutered the Scorpius. I dropped it down to three wounds. So it was firing on fives. Now I, I did have a question. Did you get to that second squad of Rubric Marines that was in the middle? You did not, but I actually wanted to talk about that because you misplayed that, sir, which is did I? you All did. Right. Let's talk. So about that. Um, it's a, something that easy to not to misplay, um, but it has to do with the yoked automata stratagem. All right. Let's see. How did we play it first? So, yeah. So the way, what, what happened was um, I charged the engineer rubrics with my squad of Harlequins. Uh, and then David used Yoke Automata to have the rubrics that were guarding his demon princes heroically intervene into those Harlequins and or effectively dragging them nine inches away from my solitaire. Right. So if you're looking up the center again and you realize that the, the one, the, the solitaire is going up the middle and the troops were going up to the right to handle the Scorpius, the rubric Marines that were in the screening in the middle were within range of the troops to the right going after the Scorpius. So with a 2d6 mm-hmm. roll, they were able to go over that direction into them. Yeah. So the important limitation on Yoktatamata though is that it only works if the charged unit is a Thousand Suns character. Oh. So you can't use it. Yes. Okay. Um, so you can't use it to effectively save other like sort of non-essential units. Gotcha. So if that so if I had a sorcerer over there and you had charged the sorcerer, then it would have been legit. Yes, but because you only de- you didn't declare any characters over there, then mm-hmm. that's how that factors in. Correct. Okay. Important lesson. It is. Yeah, that's but, why we do it. That's yep, why that's we play the games. Why right? we play games? Get these stuff figured out. That way, when it actually matters, uh, you're prepared. That's right. And if you you all didn't know, there is no perfect game of 40k. So yes, we all make lots of mistakes. So mm-hmm. don't you make the same mistake I did? Yep. So then your second turn was actually a pretty good one um, for you in a lot of ways. Uh, Effectively, from my perspective, all of the bad stuff that I'd failed to get to in my first turn, like the Demon Princes and Magnus in particular, sort of just rolled out and killed whatever they touched. And so uh, the two Demon Princes and the Contemptor walked over and shredded the uh, troop and the Solitaire. Um, though I did manage to get a clutch um, boxcars on my deny attempt when you tried to remove my invuln save on the solitaire. That was pretty bad. Yeah. Yep. Although in hindsight, that wouldn't have done very much to change the outcome because the reality yep. was he wasn't killed in the in the psychic phase, and then I had to charge and kill him in yes. the chart in this in the fight phase, and as a result you used one of your stratagems that when it dies, it gets to fight the target that killed him, I guess, mm-hmm. or, or, well, he gets to fight a fight as if he had, uh, as if it was the fight phase. And if it was a uh, solitaire that died, they get bonuses, strength and attacks. Yeah. And unfortunately, Oh, and you even get a bonus against chaos too, right? Yes. Like the damage gets worse. So mm-hmm. the fact that it was a chaos demon prince that did it, it just went absolutely berserk and decided to take one of the demon princes with it, which yes. 
that hurt a lot. That took a lot of my uh, offensive ability out um, Mm -hmm. or my offensive threat out. But the other thing that was really going for Mike early there was the fact that I had no screens left. Like you hit like all my cultists and almost all my rubric Marines were completely gone at that point. I had one Mm -hmm. squad in reserve and one terminator in reserve. And that was pretty much it. Um, And I think the Heldrake also went on an attempted assassination run that I think in theory should have worked, but didn't. Yeah. You sent the Heldrake at my troop, my warlord troop master with all of the, like the strat that he had met. Yeah. Great Harlequin stratagem and the, Relic and the, the target, and between the pin, buffs from my Shadow Seer and me just rolling good, you failed to kill me. And then my like seven characters heroically intervened into it and just ripped it apart, yep, which was kind much. of funny. Pretty much. So it just whiffed. And I was willing to sacrifice the Hellbrute to pull that off because. You mean Helldrake? Uh, yeah, the Helldrake. Sorry, not the Hellbrute. The Hellbrute just kind of hung out back there. He didn't. He didn't really end up doing all that much, although he did get in the fight with the troops and yeah, yeah he made a little progress. But mm-hmm. um, all in all, the Scorpius ended up just being completely ineffective because of Mike's first turn, uh, which yeah. is basically what you want to do mm-hmm. against that lit. Like if you see a Scorpius, you want to at least disable it for the rest of the game, if not yeah. kill it, which is great. Yeah, and then Magnus um, sort of rolled across, killed all three units of bikes. Yep. Um, but then that's sort of all he did, which granted my bikes were, are dangerous, but I kind of felt that sort of in hindsight, looking at how the game was going, perhaps the character bomb would have been a better choice for him, especially with Infernal Gateway. Yep. Now on, so if we're talking bottom of turn two, so we did a little bit of responding there. there I don't think there was too much that was too, other than the Heldrake dying on turn one. Um, I don't think there was too much that went too crazy there because you just continued to come out of your transports and jump across my guys and and start to engage them. Um, Magnus, maybe he failed his charge or something along the... No, he didn't fail his charge. No, no, he charged into the bikes and the transport. Um, And he killed the bikes, but the transport lived with two wounds left, which was kind of funny. Yes, that's right. So he was just (laughs) kind of sitting there, and so the troops got out... I think they failed their charge against Magnus too, right? Oh yeah. So I had a a big squad of troops in reserve because I had nowhere to put them. So they came down and even with the reroll charge off of my troop master, they still failed the charge, but three troop masters charged into Magnus and Magnus was fully buffed at that point. He had a three up invuln save minus one to be hit. Yeah. And I don't uh, think very much happened. Yeah. No, they they completely, they bounced off. Um, it wasn't very good, yeah. um, but I killed Aramon and I killed the other demon prince. Yes. Um, so now, now like three of my other key psychers. If you think about it, I've just lost three, four, five, six, seven casts in yeah. my in my whole repertoire in the psychic phase. So Mike's taking out all my strengths now. Yeah, and I killed the uh, re- remaining troop of rubrics that were on the table. So all you had That's in a... your back line was the Scorpio, the wounded Scorpius, and your Hellbrute. Right. And now the Contemptor, bottom of turn two, this is where it got fun. <laughs> Contemptor was able to jump up and join the fight. And the guy we need to talk about next, the Magic Terminator Lord, uh, came down and just said, all right, Mike, all your special characters, they're gone. Yes. Because if you remember, when they all piled into the Helldrake, they were all still relatively with close to each other. 
Yeah, so the effectively the center objective I had all nine of my characters sort of camping on when oh, the yeah. Heldrake showed up. And then my turn two, my shadow seers all went in one direction to deal with the demon prince. My troop masters went a different direction to deal with Magnus, and then my three death jesters stood clustered on the objective. And your warlord was still in there too. Your uh, no, so uh, no, the warlord went after Magnus. He was a troop master. Uh, uh, Magnus killed him. It was sad. Okay. But uh, so this guy comes down like. David uses the stratagem to give him Infernal Gateway, and he just obliterates all three Death Jesters in a single cast. Because he got the D6 Gateway off, right? Yeah. Yep. And uh, so they they all, like, he actually killed them so bad there was nothing in range for him to cast that for the rest of the turn. For the Astral Blast. So it wasn't even mm-hmm. the Astral Blast that did it. It was just the Infernal Gateway on that guy. Yeah, and the plus one to damage oh, was, uh, was really helped because you rolled a three there, which would they would have survived that normally. Yep. Um, yep. And just so, rolling just a little bit better than normal there and just characters popping all left and right. Although, you know, that that's about at the point I think where we got to where the game was pretty much settled where there was enough of my offensive ability taken out of the game that Magnus was pretty much dead on the next turn. Yeah. And at that point, there wasn't much I could do. So yeah, effectively all you had left was Magnus and the Contemptor. Yeah. Uh, and I still had extra troops left over to send as I needed them to go places with fusion plus pistols and such. Um, and so really looking at it, the game very much went the way that I expected it to go um, in light of sort of hearing about the current sort of way Magnus is used and the uh, way the Ritual of the Damned is sort of affected Thousand Suns. Um, but I did come away with some ideas for how Thousand Suns can better weather that match, um, especially in an ITC format. The one thing is if you're playing an army that is very fast, usually... Uh, an assault army like this or the uh, possessed bomb or the uh, Anari list that do the same thing, there will be a single unit that gets effectively chucked up the field like a grenade. Um, Against an army like that, putting units in reserve doesn't help. Uh, Primarily because it means that you have one fewer thing to swing back with uh even like a, a baby smite or something the extra round the bolter rounds at from your rubric marines uh, just any bit of extra damage you can deal against this sort of the fast assault units can be mean the difference between being completely overrun or, or being able to at least hold your own um and the other thing is secondaries are very important um, so actually, at the point where we stopped, I think you were actually beating me on primaries, yes. um, because we were holding the same. But you, because of my the way that my army works, it's MSU. You were beating me on kills every turn, but because you took engineers, um, which requires you to camp statically on an objective, and have a unit there that can, literally can't do anything, uh, it meant that you lost some initiative there. Um, Whereas in that particular case, taking something like Reaper in particular would have been ideal because 
you're going to you kill mean, at least two things. Oh, butcher's bill. Butcher's bill. Yeah. yeah butcher's exactly. bill. Um, which you're going to kill two things a turn every turn, pretty much regardless of what you do to me because of how, how few wounds yep. um, I have. The same rule sort of applies to things like gene stealer cults uh, for certain lists that they bring or. Um, yeah, ter- know, Tyranids tau. in some Tyranids. cases, Tau, yeah. any, anything, even Nurg- Nurgle to some degree, if you could smite the hell out of Nurglings. But, uh, you know, yeah. th- I think that's just a good example of how you get kind of tunnel vision mm-hmm. on the rules and what you usually take for your secondaries that you just, out of habit, you forget that, oh yeah, there is Butcher's Bill and yeah, I can take that. Um, so it's yeah. just kind of one of those things that is a good lesson, another good lesson. Yeah. Um, And the other thing uh, that really comes to mind is sort of being able to identify good targets of opportunity. The the thing with uh, the Magnus, for instance, your first turn where he could either go after the bikes or go after the characters Um, in hindsight, I think the characters were actually the more valuable choice there. If only because of how much of a force multiplier they are, not only for my other units, but for themselves. And Magnus can rip through them pretty much with impunity. And then maybe using the, even though I tried to box out that or screen out that one secondary for you, maybe using the Helldrakes to kind of go after, I think you had a couple extra, um, uh, basically uh, transports in the back line that still had Mm -hmm. some stuff in it. And one of the things I, I, thought about that I realized was um, killing them uh, is good because you're taking away your jump out three, move whatever you move, then, you know, possibly move again, uh, but move and then charge. You take away at least three inches out of that whole thing. And that can, that can actually make a difference uh, over the course of a game uh, where, and especially with the fact that now they're on the table and now they have to move and you even have to roll for casualties. So you can take a little bit potentially out of the squad as in addition. So maybe with yeah. the Heldrake, you know, the, the assassination quest was probably, uh, you know, maybe not the best idea with that where he could have potentially gone back against one of those uh, other uh, transports and just started to mess with it a bit. Uh, yeah. So um, aside from that, the, um, the butcher's bill was really helpful uh, I thought my screens, uh, you know, I don't know what your thought is, Mike, but I think cultists, they're great for filling out a detachment, but they are not enough for screening. And it almost reminds me of where we were in the meta a while ago and why I didn't run them all that much, because they are very, very easy to just run right over that, you know, just putting them out there is not that great. And even rubric Marines for that matter you really got to have some kind of mechanism to, to either hide them or, you know, like the terrain or maybe infiltrating them or something to get stuff off them turn one. Yeah. The, so the something to keep in mind in regards to screens and uh, it's one of those things I've never particularly cared for is the reason why I don't run any screens in any army I play um, is effectively they're, Points you're sort of throwing, throwing away, away in order yeah. to sort of slow uh, down what your opponent is doing. Um, and that works great uh, in a meta where people are playing more sort of measured lists where 
they there might be an assault unit or two and the the screen sort of mostly keep units from deep striking directly down onto an army and just obliterating it being the original use that screens played but in with the meta shifting we're seeing more and more hyper aggressive assault armies and you're i don't think you can you're going to find a screen in any army that can really keep that type of unit at bay. I mean, in certain cases, a screen can even help uh, the opponent. Uh, so like, for instance, uh, if for, I, I kill a unit of cultists and then because I didn't declare a charge on the other one, I pile in and just completely surround another cultist unit. Well, now you can't shoot me. And then, like, for Harlequins, I can just bounce out of the combat and charge into the next actual unit I want. And so I think that for effectively 120 points, 30 cultists that allow you to bring an extra battalion with potentially a different cult and buy you what amounts to a single turn of nobody's going to cross or deep strike this line is an okay purchase um but expecting more than that out of effectively at the point where you're you have a screen that can stop a unit a a five-man unit of harlequins with kisses is the point where you're paying too many points for the screen to really be qualified as a screen you almost start to think about like as much as it's weird, you can start thinking about things like MSU Zangors in a way, uh, you know, where you can, if you line them up that way to commit to kill one of the units, it's still going to cost you a little bit more than just, you know, even rubric Marines for that matter. But I think the cost, the cost ends up probably being better to just take the rubric Marines than the 10 Zangors at that, at that point, just because the rubric Marines, um, you've got so many different options. And one of the things I didn't even realize was that the um, the one CP strat for the to improve their invulnerable save actually works in close combat too. So you can essentially, like your troops, I could have just taken a four-up invulnerable against them and that would have... Yeah, that would have done wonders to help them. And I think that the... Well, the strategy and the support and everything has moved towards rubric marines. So I feel like your your starting point should be, let me fill this battalion out with rubric marines and okay, I, I have a need for something that can get into close combat. Let's drop one of the squads and add Zangors in. That approach, whereas before it was probably more, maybe throw Zangors in there or cultists just because I just need to fill out the battalion and rubric Marines aren't worth it. Yeah. And and it's always a balancing act because the, as people shift one way or the other, as the meta shifts, the, there will be people that go the hard the other way in order to take advantage of suddenly people aren't taking screens anymore. So I can do this thing or vice versa. That's right. Now we this is probably a good time for us to kind of segue into the new ITC missions uh, that we we're going to talk about because now we're now we're thinking about more you know the design of the lists and everything and there's some good news here. Um, so all of those things we were just talking about. No yes, now that <laughs> pretty much. So uh, I guess what we can do is just kind of talk about some of the changes at a at a pretty high level. So 
Um, if you're not familiar with the ITC missions, they're a standard set of missions. They're free. Uh, they are produced by the Frontline Gaming uh, Group, which is who runs uh, Best Coast Pairings and the ITC tournament circuit. Um, that is pretty much what everybody in the States plays under and scores points under. Um, it's basically what the Las Vegas Open is the championship for. So they write kind of the, the standard mission set that everybody should be playing when they go to tournaments for ITC points. However, you know, just because you don't play these missions or you play a modified version of them doesn't mean you don't score ITC points. So that's something to keep in mind. Uh, that's kind of how they have stuff like Adepticon and everything else counts towards your ITC championship overall standings. But uh, in any case, this is their standard format. Basically, if you go to an ITC or a frontline gaming run event like the SoCal Open, Las Vegas Open, things like that, uh, you are going to be playing these missions. And in most cases in Texas, we're going to be running these missions. Uh, that's just kind of the standard play set that everybody has gotten used to. So anyways, one of the big things they've changed is now there is um, uh, attackers and defenders. So this whole idea of I think I'm going first, but there's a chance that I don't is gone. Because one of the things they've done is removed the seize the initiative piece and the way they've set up the missions with the attackers and defenders, I kind of like it. Yeah. What's your take, Mike? So the uh, the attackers and defenders thing actually reminds me a lot of how Age of Sigmar tournaments are run. Um, all the Age of Sigmar uh, missions um, have a dedicated, you are the attacker, you do these things, you are the defender, you do these things. Um, and that leads to a much better idea of effectively more balanced games because you can't just play an army that I only do this or I only do that. Um, and effectively the way this works is so previously um, you players rolled off and then the person who won the roll off would then roll on a table and you determine which deployment type you're doing and then they would pick their side uh, and then the other person uh, then they would deploy first and there was either alternating or this deploy all deploy all um, now uh, there's no more room for confusion as to well what type of map is this is this is an alternating or is this a we deploy everything um, the well, I guess it's actually a thing that I'd like to find interesting. So the pregame steps actually have changed as well. I don't know if you noticed that. Um, now you choose your warlord traits, psychic powers, all that at, before you roll dice, which I believe previously you had to have your warlord trait at least picked before the game started. Uh, no, you just had to have your, in, in the in the pure ITC format events or the, the ITC championships uh, missions or champions missions format you did not i don't believe that's a change um most uh, most events uh i think just default to saying you need your warlord and your warlord trait but technically that's how it's always been you could choose your warlord trait at the beginning uh, but in either case you're absolutely right in that that's a very important thing to be able to tailor to um like knowing that hey i especially what we talked kicked off this episode talking about and the fact that I don't have to necessarily lock into just one of the cults I, or two of the cults for that matter. I could lock into any two basically. So yeah. 
So anyways, uh, back to deployment. So now the players roll off. Um, Whoever wins the roll off uh, chooses whether they are the attacker or the defender. Um, The defender then rolls the deployment map. And if y'all don't like it, because nobody likes like two of the six deployment maps, you can re-roll it a single time. Well, the person who's rolling for the map yeah, gets to the defender may re-roll it. So right. They can make that decision. Right. Uh, the defender also chooses their deployment zone, and the attacker gets the other deployment zone. Um, effectively, this gives a very strong benefit to being the defender um, because it lets you choose your ground and choose where, like, what type of zone you want, the deployment game you want to play in. Uh, then step three, uh, you place objectives as per usual. Um, all objectives, of course, still have to be on the ground level. Measures, uh, distances are measured from the closest point of the objective marker. Blah, 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 blah. Uh, and then the important bit is actually the step four has changed. So now, step four is um, choosing secondaries. So previously, you chose any three secondaries, and that led to some effectively, you would see. Uh, players, uh, high-skilled players in particular, um, would almost always pick kill secondaries um, because killing you're going to be killing your opponent anyways, and generally that's a very like useful thing to do already. Uh, taking secondaries that allow you to very easily and very rapidly uh, rack up secondary points uh, while also usually getting kill more uh, gave you a very, very high score. Um, other players who play like more armies like I like to play would generally take what I would call non-interactive secondaries um, which are effectively I don't like so the, the Harlequin list except for headhunters I don't have to kill anybody to get secondary points I just I move my dudes around the table and they sort of passively generate points by surviving um, now they've divided secondaries into two different categories plus old school um, there's the seek and destroy category, which is the kill stuff. And then there is the maneuvers category, which is the moving guys around and controlling territory. Uh, effectively, if you're going to choo- play ITC, you have to choose at least one seek and destroy and at least one maneuvers secondary. Uh, and then you can take either old school or another one of those two categories. Uh, so, for instance, technically, both of our secondary choices in the game we played would be legal because I took two maneuver secondaries plus headhunter, which is seek and destroy, and you took uh, two kill stuff plus uh, engineers, which is a maneuver. Um, after that, the uh, attacker deploys their entire army, the defender then deploys their entire army, and there is no seize for initiative which means you can no longer complain that, and then he seized on me and I lost. Well, and also just to go back, there's an important thing that I think was called out in a, in another article and the fact that the timing on the secondaries has also changed, um, which is kind of a subtle thing. Uh, The the time you select things, one of the things to remember in 40 K is that Mike, you always say this is that knowledge is uh, power. Knowledge is power. Yes, that's right. So, if I'm looking at the game and I'm looking at where my where I need to take advantage, not of taking advantage of people or rules, but more where should I be focusing? It's the things that can control how a game plays out. And one of the most important things is choosing the right secondaries. 
but also using the information you have on the board to choose your secondaries. So things like, um, let's say I'm taking recon against a knit army. That's maybe not a good idea. Uh, you know, you've got the board flooded or something like that, or maybe Tau or something along that line. Unless, I, unless I'm playing something like Corn, where I know I have no choice, I have to do that, so I might as well. Um, it, those kind of informational things can play into it, especially when you know who the attacker and who the defender is going to be in the mission. And that can change what secondaries you need to take. So the important thing here with the timing on the secondaries is that you do that after you have rolled for attacker defender, meaning you already know what the role is going to be. So use that to your favor. Yeah. And you also know what the deployment will be down to like deployment zones and where the right. objectives are. Right. Which, you know, the funny thing is, is when you would go and play missions, I, I don't think everybody played it that way to the, like to the letter of how the, how it would go. Basically that's how most people were playing it. They would show up, they'd, basically go through everything and you know they basically want to just okay let me get my secondaries out of the way and then okay let's just jump in into our deployment um, I think with putting secondaries right towards the end there before you get ready to deploy is really 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 good and I hope folks really take advantage of that so yeah and also the change to pure you go like deploy everything and then the defender deploys everything um gets rid of some of the i would say skeezier deployment tactics where um like gene stiller cults where all right i deployed 21 units in reserve you can deploy your entire army now um it sort of takes away from some of that which just isn't a good feeling for some people and I also, you know, on the seize the initiative thing, I know that that's probably a subjective thing. Personally, <laughs> you know, I look at that and I can I can see that it has its place. It definitely has its merits where it is a curveball. Something surprising could happen. Um, but at the end of the day, I think the best thing to have in the game is not, oh, you won the game because you rolled a six and you got to go first instead where I deployed my whole army up to, to attack you real quick. Um, you know, I ultimately you, you have to get some kind of balance because someone's going to have to roll to go first or something along that line. But I think the less variability you take out of the game, the decision-making part of the game, the better it is overall, not necessarily, you know, taking it out of the game all in general, like you still need shooting and you still need balance everywhere else there. But in things where it's like, Hey, I made the decision to come and attack you really aggressively. And you know, based on the situation that I had and, you know, deal with it. Here we go. Uh, yeah. This makes the game much mind. more stable. I agree. Yeah. Um, and then the next big change, and this is actually pretty huge, is um, their summary of how secondary missions actually work. Uh, effectively, a, a given unit can only fulfill a given secondary one at a time. So for instance, in the case of uh, my clown car army, um, I have a unit way back in uh, David's deployment zone so I get behind enemy lines. But I also have, only have one unit in that table quarter, so I need him for recon. Now the you, he can only score for one of those at a time, um, which... Which is okay because one of the other subtle changes they made was that you can score that turn one. And I think it's behind enemy lines is now top of the turn 
rather than mm -hmm. bottom of the turn. Yeah. So there's there's more to that. Um, but like so for big game hunter, so let's say there's a a Lord Discordant. Um, now if you want to, you can only count that Lord Discordant for either big game hunter or head hunter, even if he would technically qualify for both. Yeah, but I believe that was so. One thing that was that's been a problem the whole time is that you can't double up on stuff like that, like before. Uh, even though you let's say you mark for death and you you can't double them up because you end up with when something dies you have to make the decision about what does this count for yeah but it's a little stricter now um is mostly what i'm getting at uh which we can get into that uh here in a second uh so old school is the sort of the odd man out it doesn't qualify for either of them it's still the same as ever um, but so for the seek and destroy secondaries, um, they've added a few new ones here. Um, but otherwise the, like the latest and greatest are the same head hunter, um, is still a thing, uh, marked for death. Uh, I think they might've adjusted this. Um, so now you, the unit has to be at least worth a hundred points to qualify. And that makes sense. Yeah. You know, power levels being what they are very, I mean, they're like subjective ratings, right? I mean, as yeah. much as points are subjective as well, we're playing the game by points, so use a consistent way of measuring the strength of a unit for yeah. everything. So, um, Titan Slayers is the same, Gangbusters is the same, and uh, Big Game Hunter, Butcher's Bill and Reaper also appeared. Well, well there, <laughs> there's actually. subtle changes here. So let's yeah. let's cover a couple of things. So Gangbusters, um, it no longer works on troop units. Yes, that is correct. Uh, Reaper is one this point is actually, for every 20 wounds dealt to infantry rather than just 20 models killed. Yeah. And uh, once a model is removed from a unit, if you choose to count it towards the Reaper secondary, that unit cannot count towards any other secondaries. Right. But I, but the, the reading into this, I get is it really counters Primaris Marines really, because you had, you know, models at that point getting Reaper against them isn't a big deal. But now if you take, I don't know, uh three six squads of um primaris marines there's your six there's three reaper points right there so that's i mean that that definitely hurts them a little mm -hmm. bit um uh and then uh the new seek and destroy secondary which i think is hilarious <laughs> and i can't wait for somebody to put this on magnus or mortarian yeah uh the born for greatness secondary pick one single model character unit this unit gains one point for each accomplishment it makes over the course of the game, up to four points. Uh, each objective can only be achieved once per game. Uh, destroy an enemy unit that does not have the character keyword. Destroy an enemy unit that does have the character keyword. Deny psychic power. Hold an objective outside of the woman's zone. Heroically intervene. Begin and end a battle round wholly within your opponent's deployment zone. Honestly, this this power is actually uh, sorry. This secondary is actually great for Thousand Sons. Yeah, um, with how much the army as a whole relies on their characters already, uh, putting this on a Demon Prince or a Terminator Sorcerer or help Magnus, Aramon, um, Aramon, uh, really any of the HQs except for maybe like your Bog Standard Sorcerer, yeah, uh, will be great bang for your buck. Um, it I could see this being a go-to one that a lot of people take just because it is relatively easy to score a lot of those things with, with just like Aramon or a demon prince or something. A Magnus might get a little bit 
I mean, you could definitely score real fast with Magnus there, but you run the risk of him getting table turn one. Well, so I think yeah. that's more situational, right? Yeah. Um, and the other thing to keep in mind, these are still beta rules, and so it's possible they might adjust this one. But uh, I actually, I really like this one. It helps uh, sort of hero armies um, like Thousand Suns, Grey Knights, uh, armies where your characters sort of carry the game. Uh, this is great. Yeah, and um, then they, um, I think the other thing they changed was um, on some of those uh, Seek and Destroys, they, what was it? I think it was, um, or it might have been on the actual, the, the, sorry, the, the maneuvers. Uh, yeah. So like we were saying with behind enemy lines. So some of these actually get a little bit more rewarding. Yeah, uh, they changed a lot of these. Yeah, so like Recon, for example, um, you can double up on a turn with Recon. Mm-hmm. Um, behind so enemy lines. Two units in every table quarter, you get two points per turn. So that would allow like a Harlequin army to score full Recon, which is actually, it's a huge problem for uh, me in particular, is I usually take Recon, but unless the game runs four turns, I won't max out my sec- score. Yeah, so that really gets stronger for your army, without a doubt, because it's, I mean, you've got so many different units, MSU, MSU spam, basically, like Venom, hell, I think Venom spam with that recon rule gets really, really, really good. It's a little bonkers. Yep, and then you have behind enemy lines, which also fits your army, because what's great is it's the same thing. Uh, Basically, you can double up on this now, uh, because you can get three three units into the enemy deployment Mm -hmm. zone, and great, there you go. Yeah, and um, it also they changed it back to being scored at the beginning of the turn as opposed to at the end. Uh, sorry, sorry, back to the being at the end of the turn as opposed to being the beginning. Uh, so previously behind the main lines, it's actually very difficult to score because you had to effectively survive an entire game turn in enemy lines to get it unless you had some sort of sneaky Harlequin stratagem to redeploy during your opponent's movement phase. Um. So I, I think we'll see a resurgence of behind enemy lines, uh, probably like Tyranids uh, or units that can put like swarms in reserve. We'll just go back to dropping a unit of like rippers in your back line. Lots of corn uh, demons, something yeah. like that. Um, ground control is the same. Uh, King of the Hill. Uh, if uh, you well, have... ground ground control did change. So. So one of the issues with ground control is there were missions that only had like three objectives. Ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. So they made one little minor change that said, if you control every objective in the game, you get four. So you could still max that out and make it viable in every mission. Yes. Um, King of the Hill, they uh, did change a little bit. Um, So it's still uh, has to be non like. Two non-character multi-model units within nine inches. However, if you have four plus qualifying units, you score double points, you get two points. Um, and of course, multi-model in this case means a unit that began the game with more than one model. So if you had a unit of like a five-man witch squad, for instance, that gets shot down to one model, that single witch still qualifies because she started the game with friends. Um, engineers... Uh, I think, I think the uh, main change they made yeah. here is that you can, if you go outside of your deployment zone to hold two objectives, you can score two points with them per turn. Uh, yes. But it has to be, those have to be outside of your deployment zone. So, yeah, so you have to have two separate objectives and one of them has to be outside of the deployment zone. Correct. So, this 
in the missions where you have to place objectives anywhere, this kind of gets tricky because you can technically place the objective outside your deployment zone, but hold it from within your deployment zone. So there's things like that that you can still kind of game with it. But again, you need to be um, two separate objectives, um, you know, one of them having to be out of your out of your deployment zone. So you could put like one of them, I think there's, I think is uh, one of the later ones, like what's mine is yours, or one of those missions where you start with one in the center, you place an objective anywhere, and then you place one in your opponent's deployment zone. So in that mission, what you can do is the one you deploy anywhere, you can put up front just outside your deployment zone if there's something for you to hide in or something like that where you can hide and hold that objective. Um, so you're holding that one, and the objective is wholly outside your deployment zone. Uh, but then the other one is... Uh, you know, placed by your appointment in it. And since you only have to have one, you're satisfying it for, for two points. Not that, not that that's going to be the easiest thing in the world to pull off, but just something that you can do. But yeah. and then there's sappers, which is the mean, meaner stepchild to engineers. So I actually really like this one, like thinking about it. So effectively what this does, it's like engineers. You select two non-character, non-fortification, non-flyer, uh, units from your army to be sappers. Uh, if you end your movement within three inches of an objective outside of your own deployment zone, the sappers may render that objective unscorable if that attacker did not, you did not make any attacks or manifest any psychic powers during your turn. Um, an objective is rendered unscorable, will not generate any mission points, primary or secondary, for the sappers unit um, so long as the your sapper unit remains on the objective. Um, and no, you can render an objective unscorable even if you don't control the objective. Uh, once rendered unscorable, it remains in this state until the sapper moves more than three inches away from the objective, is destroyed, makes any attacks, or manifests any psychic powers. Um, each objective rendered unscorable earns one point at the end of your turn to a maximum of two points per turn. Uh, units chosen to be sappers may never benefit from a rule that keeps them. It's the same limitation as engineers. You can't make them untargetable unless you just literally have a line of sight. Um, so really, I like this objective um, primarily because it cuts down. It gives you something to do to counter uh, the style army that literally, let's say you have engineers. Well, I'm going to fly my sappers over to your engineers and camp on your objective. Now your engineers have to get off their lazy rump and come drive me away before you can start scoring engineer points again. Right. I'm not sure this will see as much play as I think it will, but I'm going to have to wait and hold my final judgment on that one. Uh, but the final one being postman, I think is just kind of, <laughs> It, it may be good for your army, Mike, where you've got a lot of mobility and you can run around from objective to objective. Um, but uh, I, I think this is kind of one of those things where you're selecting a single model. And this is kind of my problem I have with um, uh, what was it, Born for Greatness in the beginning. You're dumping four points into one model, and that's like a target on their back to have that just popped right away. So, and it and the problem is it can't be a vehicle, it can't be a monster, and it can't be Titanic. So it's got to be something that can hide like a character, and you better hope that that thing can survive and not get assaulted. You know, I don't know how many 
ways you could get to it, but you have to keep it protected and that's not what you want to be doing. You want to be able to just go out and fly around. So like bike far seers and things like that really for me are the best options that are in here. Yeah. Uh, I can see a few armies that really benefit from this. Um, Craft rolled Eldar obviously, cause they have bike seers. Yeah. Um, any army that has a character that can teleport around. So like Raven guard uh, could oh, benefit yeah. from this. Oh yeah. That's a really good one. Um, Gene Stiller Colts also benefits from this. Yep. And you, and just to, you know, refresh, I don't think I read the rule, so you know, forgive me for the delivery there, but, uh, basically you have to pick one of those, uh, options. So it can't be a vehicle monster or Titanic and it has to be a single, uh, model well, and it, basically it can be a model in a unit. Not that I would recommend doing that because that model may not survive if his unit gets blown to smithereens. Uh, correct correct so it can be a single my could be the aspiring sorcerer or the this rubric marine tom in you know this squad of five rubric marines uh in any case that model uh each time they're on an objective basically which is three inches uh from the objective uh you can tell them to gather intel um which scores you and it has to be and it has to be an objective that you control at the end of your turn so as long as you control that objective at the end of your turn they can gather well, no, they don't have oh yeah it has to be a controls yes right so once you do that then you move on to the next one and if you gather intelligence from four four objectives great you get four if you gathered from every objective in the game you get four uh which is actually almost you do get an advantage in the smaller uh mission uh, which is the one that only has three objectives. So cut to the heart uh, is, is kind of a good one for it because you know, you really just have to get to three of them. So, and you get a free bonus point, but that kind of covers all the secondaries. Um, the missions, I don't think, uh, you know, I don't think there were too many changes in there for any of them. I mean, there are changes on the individual missions, but I'm not sure if we need to jump into every single one of them. Uh, but all in all, Mike, my take is it's really good because one, rubric marines used to be marked for death. So they used to be there. Well, they still are power level seven. And what's great about this is it just gets rid of that stupidness with power levels where your 80 point intercessor squad is somehow less of a power level than my 80 point rubric marine squad, like by two points. And so that, that way my rubrics aren't giving up lots of points to mark for death anymore, which is fantastic. Um, I like that engineers are better. I like the concept of being able to, uh, since you still score, I believe engineers on starting on the second turn. Um, I like the concept of now, if you, if you are going to take the engineer strat, uh, you can technically deep strike both rubric marine squads that are engineers, just put them in reserve, bring them in turn two, put them on the objectives you need where you need to stay away from stuff. That's an option. Uh, that would be pretty cool. And then you've got two points right there. Yeah. Uh, and I think that the, they saw sort of the way the game was being played at their tournaments and have taken steps to mm-hmm. sort of manually shift the meta from less of a kill everyone all the time to more of you actually have to interact with your opponent. Um, because you can't just play a gun line. Um, I guess you could like 
take two kill and then engineers, but that's still sort of a iffy proposition. It's definitely going the way of defenders at the moment, but I think what balances the game out is just the fact that you still score points for killing stuff and killing stuff ultimately leads to how much of control you will have in the game. So I think that giving the defenders things that on paper look like they're an advantage here will ultimately lead to a much more balanced game. Like the perception I think is going to be that defenders have the advantage, but I think it's going to be a lot more balanced than people think. Yeah. Well, the thing is the, the, the attacker still gets the opportunity of the alpha strike. Yeah. Um, so there is some benefit to being in the attacker as well. Yep. But and, I see thousand suns right now. You could play them as a heavy defender army and do quite well with them. Uh, just based on rubric Marines being, you know, super, super tanky. Um, you know, you can definitely look at a, a denial uh, strat, but then you run into armies like yours where you can play completely maneuvers as well. And your goal is just to score. You, you don't care what you're playing against. You just do what you do. Yeah. Um, and so I, I think this is a step in the right direction. I actually would be interested in sort of taking these for a spin uh, and see how it actually winds up playing. Well, maybe we can make that happen sooner rather than later. I think that might be in the, in the cards. Yeah. You know what else is in the cards, though, Mike? Oh, yeah? I pulled a card the other day. Did said Magnus really? did nothing wrong. That's a good card to have. It, it is. It is. Magnus I'm holding on to it. That, that, he did nothing wrong. That's a good one. 